Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called, Hey, Who's in Charge Anyway? And we'll be looking at a biblical model for leadership. Let's think about the pattern of God's leadership and how can we follow his example as we lead others. The title of our message today is, Why Do You Call Me Lord? And it's on how God leads us, and I'd like to open with a brief prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the Word of God that's living and active. Teach us today. You're our great leader. Help us to understand more what that means and how that affects our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the whole series is Who's in Charge Anyway? And authority issues are all over the world in all times. Isn't that the case? And many times, if you're the one in charge, you're thinking, how come nobody's doing what I'm saying? And if you're the one that's being told what to do, you're thinking, why are they telling me what to do and ordering me around? Someone once said, I'm against the idea of bishops unless I get to be one. Uh, we all like the idea of being in charge, particularly if it means that people actually will do what we say. So the whole series is on leadership, and the first four messages are on how God leads us, and the last four will be what are the implications of that as far as how do we lead ourselves and others. Summarizing the first two messages, one was a sermon of, from about two months ago where we looked at the picture of God's leadership, which is the shepherd, the pattern of God's leadership. If you think about, well, what, if boil it down for me, Cliff notes, what do you mean by shepherd leadership? And what, the way God does it, the way he wants us to do it, it's lead, develop, and care. Say that with me. Lead, develop, care. One more time. Lead, develop, and care. See, that wasn't hard. It's sort of like dribble, pass, and shoot in basketball. Uh, you also have three kinds of golf clubs in your golf bag. You know, you got your, help me, your drivers, your irons, and putters, right? In tennis, it's just a racket. But anyway, but in tennis, it's the forehand, the backhand, and the serve. So these are the fundamentals of Biblical leadership, lead, develop, and care. And last week, we noticed that God started with care when he created the world. He started with care because if he hadn't, we would have died if he'd have just created us in the wrong order before there was a planet to put us on, before there was air to breathe. Uh, he would have made us, and we would have died. I said, whoops. I don't think I did that in the right order. No, he did it in the right order. He started with care, providing, protecting, then creating us, and then leading and developing. Same thing with the gospel. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. He couldn't come in and just start leading and developing. He had to first make us alive in Christ. He started with care. So that brings us today to look more deeply at what's this whole idea of God leading us? When you look in Genesis 1, it's very clear. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let us make man in our image. And he created us, male and female. And he comes in and begins to give them commands. 
and we realize from the very beginning the universe has a leader. Now, if you, if you fully adopt uh, atheistic evolution, see, that's not the case. There isn't anybody to be the leader. It's just stuff and uh, different kinds of living creatures. And there isn't technically anybody that's the leader. And it ends up being, well, who's ever stronger is the leader. But in the Bible, we realize that there is a leader, even if he's invisible. Uh, he is more real than you and I are. So we want to look at that. that we talked about, mentioned last week also, that the word Lord is another word for supreme leader or the leader. Now, let's take a look at this. De we have a definition of lead. Let's uh, read it together. I think you've got it on your notes there. Well, I've got to give you, I've got to fill in the words, don't we? There, there are three blanks. Can't read that. So it's intentionally, the first word is influencing. And the second word is enabling people to accomplish a given task. Influencing and enabling people to accomplish a given task. That sounds a lot better than ordering people around, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, but that's what, what this lead part of lead, develop, care entails. So now that you've got that, let's just read it together. Ready? One, two, three. Intentionally influencing and enabling people to accomplish a given task. The lead part of lead, develop, care is very influenced by the need to accomplish something. Jesus' high priestly prayer in John 17, Jesus talks in terms of this. In John 17, 4, Jesus says to God, I glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the task you gave me. He had a task. What was his task? Help me out. I know we're far away, but I know you could probably shout something out. What was the task that Jesus accomplished? Salvation by paying for the sins of humanity, by the death on the cross, and by also his perfect life of obedience. It wasn't just enough for him to die in our place. He also had to have lived a life of complete obedience to the Father. He accomplished the task that the Father had given him. So intentionally influencing and enabling people to accomplish a given task. And I wonder today, if you take that to you personally, what you would say is the given task that God has given you. When you think about your life, and it's probably not a simple thing like just, well, it's this. It's probably a little bit more complex. But nevertheless, I guess what Jesus did was complex too, right? There were a lot of parts of his life. How would you answer the question... What is the task God has given me? Will you be able to say at the end of your life, Father, I've glorified you on the earth by accomplishing the task that you gave me? Therefore, what we call operational aspects of lead, if you just say lead, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a broad term. There are four fundamental things that you could say more things, but you wouldn't want to say any less than these four. And the four are set direction, align, motivate, and manage. And the set direction is all about target, if you want to write, if you're the kind that likes to write in words. 
is about target. Where are we going? Why are we going there? What would success look like? What's the target? Setting direction. Secondly, it's a line. That's all about together. Anybody here that's got small children or larger children, you know alignment is a challenge. We're going to church. We're going to leave the house at 9.15. But getting all of those shoes and socks and people and attitudes aligned takes quite a lot of intentional thought, doesn't it? Aligning. And then third, motivating. That has to do with energy. Energy, that, that desire of those that are being led to actually cooperate. The energy. And finally, manage. That has to do with oversight. Just because you've set direction and aligned and motivated, you can't just walk off and leave it on automatic pilot most of the time. Isn't that correct? So you kind of have to stay close enough to make, to make sure we actually get the ball over the goal line. We see this. Jesus comes in. He says he comes in declaring the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that's a set, set direction. A new administration is coming to town. The king of, king of heaven is here. Then he works at aligning them. You remember on most of the Sermon on the Mount is about aligning. He says, blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He says, these are the kind of ways you need to be. If you're going to be in line with the kingdom of heaven, then this is the way you need to live and think and act and speak. On motivate, he, he motivates them. He says, well, do you want the kingdom of heaven? Do you want to see God? Do you want to be called the sons of God? Well, you need to be doing these things. He's motivating them. And finally, managing, even after three years of close quarters teaching, modeling, the disciples at the Last Supper, they're still arguing about who's the greatest. They're still acting selfishly. So even though Jesus had set direction, aligned, and motivated, it still wasn't going that well. That should be very encouraging to us because there are many times when you've been leading and teaching and and after all your best efforts, they still don't seem to be doing very well. And to realize that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had the same problems you have with the people he was leading. That even if you do it absolutely perfectly, you may not get perfect marks in terms of what you're seeing with those you're leading. This is what God is doing in your life. God, in your life, also is setting direction. He's trying to get you aligned with that direction. He's trying to motivate you. And he is managing it because you and I have our ups and downs. There's sometimes we're feeling maybe a bit more committed, a, a bit more sanctified, a bit more holy. And other times you feel sort of a bit like a beast, you know, and you're just, you're not, it's not your best day, not your best attitudes, not your best inclinations, and God is bearing with you and me and helping us to get where we need to go. How are you doing as a follower with God as your leader? And I want to think, us to think just a little bit more now about four kind of stages, four ways that this idea of God being our Lord, Him being our leader how it sort of shows up in the course of our lives. Because it's not all the same. You've got your little page here on the, the Lordship of Christ. 
But we want to look at that just for a minute. The first two are sort of obvious. The first encounter you have with God as your leader is receiving him as your Savior. That passage in Matthew, that's, uh, you see the, the person of Matthew there, if you look in your column, that's where Jesus shows up and he looks at Matthew and, he's, and who's collecting taxes and, you know, basically being a bad boy of, as far as the way the Jews viewed things. And Jesus looks at him and he says, uh, follow me. And Matthew was never the same. And probably it could be that for years the other disciples sort of had a bad attitude toward Matthew because of his former life and profession. I mean, they viewed him sort of like a traitor. Uh, whenever we say the name Benedict Arnold, everybody, you know, woo, uh, because he betrayed the United States. Well, that's how they felt about Matthew. I mean, imagine Jesus picking Benedict Arnold after he'd betrayed his country to be one of the disciples. And then, even more surprisingly, Benedict Arnold, I mean Matthew, ends up writing the first book of the New Testament. I mean, that's a little bit scandalous. But that's the kind of Savior we have that draws us in and makes us new and forgives us. So the first encounter you have with God as your leader is as your Savior. I was 17 when I asked Christ into my life. And it's, I've just never been the same. That was 40, almost 50 years ago. In fact, it will be 50 years this coming October. So kind of excited about that. But the second encounter you have with Christ as your leader is what I'm calling capitulation. That's where you surrender. You recognize him as your sovereign Lord. When Paul met Jesus on the, the road to Damascus, and the bright light shines, and this voice is speaking to the Apostle Paul, who became the Apostle Paul, Saul. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus whom you've been persecuting. And then his second question is, what shall I do, Lord? The word Lord, remember, is the word leader. So you could say that what Paul was asking at this point is, what shall I do, leader? <laughs> He's the leader. And we need to do what he says. Now, people, frankly, are afraid of this one. Why would people be afraid of, being, of, of saying, God, I'll do whatever you want? Well, obviously, they're worried about what he might say. And I think, well, I don't know. I mean, he might want me to, I don't know, go to Africa or, or uh, go help the homeless. I don't know. You, you, you just have these things in your mind that you think, well, if he's that kind of a God, who knows what he might ask of me? So I, I, you're a bit more reserved. But actually, the recognizing him as your Lord, as your leader, and basically saying, God, I belong to you. I'm willing to do your will no matter what it is. It's the single most important decision, apart from receiving Christ, that you'll ever make in your life. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, or leader, leader, and don't do what I say? So seeking God's will, seeking to do it with all of your heart, is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make in your life. Are you willing to do his will? 
These first two is pretty much the same for everybody. Becoming a Christian, receiving Christ, faith, that's the same for everyone. And this idea of recognizing him as your sovereign Lord, everybody needs to do that. And that's on all the things that God has been clear on about sharing your faith, about giving, about church attendance, about marriage, about purity, about getting into the scriptures. That's all part of following him as your Lord. But the other two that I want to mention today that also have to do with him being our leader is what we're going to call cleansing and culmination. (laughs) But this one on cleansing, there's a story about Abraham that many of you are familiar with in Genesis 22 where God comes to Abraham and he says, I want you to take your son. Now, this is Isaac. You remember when Abraham was... 75 years old, God appeared to him. He hadn't been able to have any children. He says, I promise that I'm going to multiply you. And that implied that he was going to have children. And it was then 25 more years of waiting, and finally this baby Isaac is born. And imagine you've been wanting children your whole life, and your first one is born when you're 100. And they hadn't even invented diapers yet. But you're just so glad to have that child. And then the child grows to be about 12 to 14 years old. And you're just thankful every day. Thank you, God, so much for for this little boy. And God comes to Abraham in Genesis 22. And he says, I want you to take that boy, the one you love, Isaac, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And God calls him to basically give back the child of the promise. The good news at the end of the story is Abraham is willing to do it, and then God says, okay, I I can see you're willing. That's good enough. But sometimes God will ask of you something that is very, very difficult of you, for you. He wants you to give back something that maybe isn't even a bad thing, but it's become something that it shouldn't be in your own life. And it's almost like it's in competition with your love for God. I think that was the difficulty with Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac so much. There was the question, do you love more what God has given you than you love God himself? And I wonder today, what is competing with your love for God? What is keeping you from putting him first? A silly example for me was back in 1986, 87, they began showing reruns of Zorro. You know, remember the old Zorro, Don Diego de la Vega? And I just, I loved it. And so every day I was, like, I organized my whole day around watching that 30-minute Zorro episode. And uh, after about a month or two, I sort of started to get convicted that maybe Zorro meant too much to me. And so I decided I needed to fast Zorro for a while. And uh, some of the family thought I was being a little bit silly. But there's sometimes that you just know in your heart God is asking something of you, something that's a sacrifice, something that's denying yourself Something that maybe others, other people don't need to do. Other people can watch Zorro, no problem. 
It just sort of meant too much to me for a while. And by stepping back from it, I sort of was set free from Zorro. And then I can watch it again now. So it's, it wasn't like a permanent thing, like an amputation. It was just a, a fasting for a time. For some people, it's God might be asking you to meet with him in the morning. There's nothing in the Bible that requires Christians to read their Bible and pray in the morning. Uh, there, are, there are passages that say that, for, that it's a good thing, but it's not a required thing. But it could be that God at some point asks you, says, I, I'd like you to meet with me first thing in the day. Would you be willing? And, and it could be that you're a person that likes to sleep up to the very last moment until other obligations force you to get up and get ready for the day. And God might be asking you, say, I want you to sacrifice that, that last beautiful little bit of sleep, and I want you to meet me in the morning on the mountain. What might God be asking you? It may be something God has already asked you, and you're just sort of, it's sort of just there, uh, but you're not quite willing yet. At one point, I had been praying about going to France as a missionary, and God seemed to, at one point, as far as with our group, the Navigators, it wasn't possible. It's, it's like he took it away and at that same time, someone said, well, would you be willing to pray about going to Argentina? I'm embarrassed to admit to you that I didn't like Latin America, and I didn't like Spanish. I'd always like French, and, and I also like German. And so it was just a very human thing. Uh, but God clearly spoke to me that he really wanted me to go, us to go to Argentina. And because of that, I won't get into the details, but it was enough that he said, but this is what I have for you. It ended up being fantastic. And whenever you do trust God and obey him, it is a good thing. But at the time, it was very hard. I sort of had to open my hand and, and surrender that. I wonder what that's going to look like in your life. What is the crucible? What, is, what, is the, what are the sacrifices that God might ask for you to make, either temporarily or permanently, to, to honor him, that there wouldn't be anything in your life that is competing with your love for God. To hold all things with an open hand. Some people have felt like God has asked them to give up drinking any alcoholic beverages. For some people, it might be smoking. Uh, in, in some cases, it may be something that really is not bad in and of itself, but it occupies a place in your heart that's not right. And this is where you've got to be honest with yourself. Nobody else can decide things like that for you. You've got to be able to say to God, Lord, you're my Lord. What do you want me to do? For some people, it may be uh, coming back to church. It's kind of handy to be at home in your slippers and with your coffee mug and your little crackers, you know, on the couch, and just kind of turn it on, and uh, you can get up and walk around if you need to. For some people, God might be asking those that stay at home, it's time to come back. But that, that would be something between you and God. What would honor God? What would help you draw closer to him and say, God, you're the most important part of my life? And finally, 
The fourth stage or type of following the Lordship of Christ is what I've put here as the culmination, the capstone. This is responding to the scourge, and I'm hoping I can make this clear to you. You see the name Peter there. John 21, remember Jesus comes to Peter. It's at the very end where he's denied Christ, and now Jesus risen from the dead, meets Peter. Peter's probably feeling pretty sheepish about the whole thing. And after Jesus the three times says, do you love me? And Peter says, well, you know, I'm doing the best I can. And uh, Jesus says, feed my sheep. But then, then he says something very interesting to him. In uh, verse 18, he says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. And scholars understand what's going on here is, is that Jesus is basically foretelling that Peter is going to die a martyr's death. Tradition has it that he was, they were going to crucify him, and he felt embarrassed to be crucified like Jesus, so he asked to be crucified upside down, which actually takes you longer to die. It's, if there's any way to make crucifixion a bit worse, it's doing it upside down, apparently. But Jesus says, you know, when you were younger, you got to live your life how you wanted to. You could make your decisions. You had freedom. You had mobility. Later in life, you're going to lose that freedom, that mobility. And uh, they're going to put you to death. And after saying all of that, just because you're following me, after saying that, Jesus looks at him, and the very same words from the beginning, he says again to him, follow me. Now that you know what the price is, let's recommit. It's sort of like a renewal of your marriage vows. The first time, for those of you who are married, that you got married, you had stars in your eyes, and someone said later, then 20 years later, you realized it was just sand in your eyes. Uh, but renewal of your vows is you've, you've been together for a while, and now you kind of know what you're who it is you're married to, and then walking down the aisle again uh, just as a reenactment of those marriage vows, it's a completely different sort of a feeling. And he's basically getting Peter to renew his discipleship vows, even if it means he will lose his life. So this fourth column, unlike the first three all have to do with your own decision to some degree, the decision to receive Christ as your Savior, to recognize Him as your sovereign, to release the sacrifice that He asks of you. But this fourth one is unasked for things that it just happens to you. It might be a car accident. It might be uh, losing a limb due to diabetes. It might be losing a loved one to sickness or an accident. It might be never being able to have children that you wanted to have. It might be someone not being able to get married. It will eventually, for all of us, be certain health issues that you don't have today, where when you were younger, you could go where you wanted and do what you wanted, and when you get older, you're not at that point anymore. And for some people, it's extreme persecution. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was put in prison during under the Nazi regime, uh, I just realized the other day, going back over it, he was put to death, he was executed, and it was just like two weeks before Hitler killed himself. I mean, it was right at the end of the war. If he could have just hung on another month, I mean, it wasn't his choice. I mean, it's not as though he decided, oh, well, I'll just go ahead and let them hang me. I mean, they, they made, others made the decision for him. There's certain things that happen to you that are completely beyond your control. What's the problem with that when you know that God is your leader? You know that even if it's not in your control, it is in God's control. And if it's something you really, really don't like, it's hard not to get mad with the one who allowed it, who could have stopped it. And this is responding to the scourge when God in his sovereign goodness decides the, the path that's for you. You look at other people to your left and to your right, and they're not going through the same thing. And you're thinking, well, what is it, God? I mean, don't you, don't you care? Don't you love me? And he looks at you, and he says again, follow me. Will you trust me? It won't last forever. Let's walk through this together. God has a perfect plan for you, and he sees, and he says, in this world you'll have tribulation. There's certain things that are going to happen in your life that aren't going to be easy. They may be excruciatingly hard. But if we're going to let him be the Lord, it's like, Lord, you're in charge. It's fine. I can trust you. I'll walk with you. All will be well. There was a man named George Matheson who was engaged to a woman. He, he got a diagnosis uh, that he was losing his sight and that eventually he would be blind. And he went and talked to his fiance about it, and she left him. So not only was he losing his eyesight, his future wife decided that wasn't something she was up for, and she left him. And he wrote a hymn that's in the hymnal in front of you, hymn 374, that's entitled, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. Because his fiance let him go. But he says, God's love never let me go. And he says, uh, he talks about, O light that follows all my way. He says, I lift my flickering torch to thee. He's talking about his eyes. And just embracing the cross and saying, Lord, it's okay. It's okay. Read that poem sometime. But it's a great example of this fourth column, responding to the scourge, accepting the suffering that comes to us, allowed by the hand of God, that we didn't choose. It's just in this world, Jesus says, you will have tribulation. Many people have said, if you really trust God in those harder times, you'll know him in a way you could never have known him without that pain. So with these four, which you'll see down at the bottom, with that first one, we want to say no to empty religion. We really want to have Christ as our Savior, not just be religious. We want to say no to open rebellion. We want to be willing to do his will. We want to say no to competing rivals for our love with God. And we want to say no to bitter resentment. It's not that hard to get mad with God. 
since you know he's in charge and can do whatever. And whenever your life isn't like you'd like it, it's easy to get mad with God. But the road to sweetness and true life is saying, God, you're the leader, and I know you love me, and I'm going to trust you no matter what. Job said, even if he slays me, yet will I trust him. Yet will I trust him. So what? Number one, salvation. Have you ever opened your heart to him as your Savior? Number two, surrender. Have you decided to do his will no matter what? Number three, are you willing to give up whatever he asks of you that hinders your walk with him? And four, suffering. Are you committed to trusting him in the hardest times of your life without getting bitter? Friends, this is the path of life. The resistance you might feel to any of these is only because you're, what you really want in your heart of hearts is to fully live life. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Moving away from Jesus as leader doesn't give you more life. It always results in less, less life. So let's renew our commitment to follow the leader. He is the one who's in charge anyway. And we can either do this the easy way, and the easy way is the simple way of saying, Lord, you're the Lord, and I'm the follower, and I'm happy about that in the good times and in the bad times. The hard way is to resist and to doubt and to get mad, but to come back to that place of surrender, of calmness, say, God, you're everything I need. I want to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength. And let you be the leader. Let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. We each have our own things that are hard, really hard. And some of those things we know pretty much nobody else really gets. And we're so often captive to our own thoughts. But I just pray that there would be that surrender in our heart. To receive Christ as our Savior, to recognize you as our sovereign King, to release the sacrifice, to respond to the scourge that you've decided that is necessary in our life, either for our benefit, our growth, or for others, like with Job, whose book was, became the comfort to millions of people for thousands of years, all because he went through unasked for suffering. So we're trusting in you, Lord, knowing that everything we need, we find in you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.